You know, I heard someone say that uh, Santa has the right idea. Go visit people once a year. And, uh, you know, sometimes during this, uh, this season, people get a little overwhelmed. So I got a question for you. Is the craziness, you don't have to answer out loud or anything, but is the craziness of this season robbing you of your Christmas spirit? Has this cold weather got you down? Well, I'm going to share a story with you this morning that may, uh, may kind of bring you back to being thankful for for where, you know, where we live and, and the houses that we live in. And, and uh, this story really is for the younger group, the students and everything. It's one of my, uh, you know, uh, when I was your age stories, okay? Because I'm a grandfather now, so I can tell when I was your age stories with a little more gusto. Well, when I was your age, I was 17 years old. I graduated from high school. I, I moved out pretty much on my own and moved to Virginia, was there for a few months, you know, I had just gotten, I just come to Christ, and so I kind of ran off to Virginia because I had no really nowhere else to go. My dad and my brother lived out there. I thought, I'll go there. Didn't really want to go to college. Didn't know what I wanted to do. But then I came to Christ in my senior year, so I kind of slid into Virginia. And so I got back home as fast as I could because I really wanted to go now to college. So I got back to New York, and I lived in this, uh, my first house was this converted garage in the back of a uh, back property of another family lived in the church. Great people. Their brother had lived there. Uh, his, uh, like the brother-in-law had lived there. And he was a construction guy. So he, he kind of fixed the place up a little bit. It was great in the summertime. It was fantastic. Well, when I got married uh, to Deb, we were, it was in August. And so I moved her into this, this, uh, this castle, okay, this beautiful place that we had all set up. It was, you know, three of us living there. I kicked the other two guys out, moved my wife in, and it was great in August, September, October, November. I'm going to describe this, this house to you. One of, the, one of the things about this little garage house is it wasn't very good in the winter, okay? There were two ways to heat the house. One way was a Franklin fireplace, and you know those Franklin fireplaces, you kind of open the front, you stick the wood in there. And this, this Franklin fireplace, though, had, uh, it was broken in the front, had like a three or two or three inch gap across and maybe six, eight inches down. The front door was a little broken there. And so, you, you know, you stuck your wood in. And the other way to do it was there was a gas heater on the wall. It looked, it looked ancient. I don't know what year it was from, but it was, it was pretty ancient. And the way you would light this uh, gas, gas heater on the wall is you push the button. It would go click, 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 click. And then you'd light a match and you'd stick it in there. Well, I found out very quickly the first time I lit it, that was not a good idea. Because I click, 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 lit it, and it comes right in my face. And so we'll ha- the way you'd light this this furnace little heater was that you'd have one guy stand there and go click, 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 click. And then you take the match from about five feet away and you throw it toward the heater. And it got about within a foot of it and it went woof and it went on. And so that's how you got the heater going. It was actually pretty fun for a bunch of guys. All right, light it up. You know what I mean? It was, you could play with matches and, you know, blow things up on, you know, on purpose and it wasn't doing anything wrong. So you throw the match over there and boom, it would light up. The Franklin fireplace, when we didn't want to spend money on the, the gas, was amazing. You want to talk about warming the place up in no time. But because, because of the front section being broken, if you ever light something like that where there's a hole, the air just gets sucked in by the fire and it just, it's so hot. It was so hot. We would start out, you know, maybe nine o'clock or so. We'd light it up. And by, by within an hour and a half, you were almost opening the windows. It was so hot in there. 
We had a piece of wood leaning up against this Franklin fireplace, and it caught fire from the outside. That's how hot it was, right? It melted. It warped the TV, which was three feet away. It warped the side of the TV. And the guy who had built the, the little house, he built, the, he built himself a little um, a chimney. But you know what happens when you don't put the chimney above the peak of the roof? Anybody know? Yeah, the, when, it, when the wind blows, it blows down the chimney and everything going this way goes now that way. And so multiple times, if it was windy, the wind would blow down the chimney and it would just come out that little hole in the front. And I mean soot and, and, and smoke were all over. You have to open up your windows. It was incredible. It was incredible. But the, 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 the ultimate um, in this beautiful home that I brought my wife into was the bathroom. Okay. Garages don't have bathrooms. So they added on a room, which is about, you know, like this, you know, like this big or so, like, like maybe five feet by five feet. Had a little stand-up shower in there, a tiny little sink, and a toilet. And it was built basically, you know, it was attached, and it was cinder blocks that it sat on and a floor. And it got so cold in the, in the wintertime that you, we had to cut a hole in the floor to get to the pipes and wrap that wire around the pipes, that, that, the wiring, so it would keep the pipes warm. But then when the wind blew underneath that little room, it would rattle that board, and you'd stand there, and your hair would blow. I mean, as you're standing there, it was that cold, all right? It was that cold. And the, the most amazing thing was we walked down sometimes, and, and I'm, this is truth, okay? I'm your pastor. I'm telling you the truth. Ice would form in the toilet, okay? So you go in there and there'd be ice formed on top of your toilet. And it was great when I, friend Deb, you know, we first got married and, you know, Deb was there and she wanted to invite all her friends over, you know what I mean, to see our new house. And in order for them to really go to the bathroom, she had to say, there's a, a dryer on the wall before you go. You have to, and we, you know, you know, so we warm the toilet up a little bit. We get that toilet all warmed up. And I went to the, I went to the landlord who was a friend and I said, Hey, listen, you know, um, there's ice in my toilet. You know, uh, what, what, what do you think? And he gave me some antifreeze. And so what we would do is just, we'd stick, this is truth. We'd just stick the antifreeze in the toilet and that would keep it from freezing up. So it was just a, it was amazing. That has absolutely nothing to do with the sermon. I just thought I'd share it this morning because Guys, they're all so cold and everything. I wanted, to, I wanted to get you back to a warm feeling. You're going to go home now and just walk into your bathroom and just be praising God. Thank you, Lord. There's no ice in my toilet. You know what I'm saying? I need to bring you back. It's all perspective, isn't it? It really is. I mean, life is really just all perspective sometimes. You've got no ice in your toilet, you're doing great. Praise the Lord. You're rich. Ah, this morning, what I really want to do is really take this time to pause and think about the greatest event in human history and how it still fulfills many of the needs that we have today. How it touches our hearts even today. Still affects our everyday lives. This incredible event. In Isaiah chapter 7, in verse 14, it says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give, him, uh, give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And then in Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. There is something about every single one of us that longs to know God. We want to know God. When I, before I was a Christian, before, you know, I even thought about church and all that kind of thing, didn't go to church growing up. 
I knew, though, when I was younger, I knew there was a God. I just didn't know who he was. No one ever told me who he was. So there was never a question in my mind that, that there was a God. I just didn't know him. I didn't know who he was. I, but I, I had that longing in my heart to, 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 to know. I had the privilege of leading someone who grew up in China to Christ about two, three years ago, a few years ago. And it was amazing what she told me as we're going through this process. She, you know, she, she had a lot of questions. She said, I don't want to commit intellectual suicide here. I want to make sure that what I'm believing is true. And we walked through all that. But when she came to the point where she realized, you know what? This is, this is, I can take a step of faith. Everything in life is a step of faith. Okay? I can take this step of faith because the evidence is there. But what she said was this, which was amazing. She said, they taught us in China that there was no God. I mean, taught us aggressively there was no God. But she said, even as a child and growing up, I always knew he was there. Even though there was no one around, no church, no Bibles, no anything to tell her there was a God. She said, I knew. I knew growing up. I knew, even though I was being told the opposite, I knew that God was there, that he was there. You know, we need to know that God has broken through into our world, that he has come to join us in this world. It's not enough just to know that there's, as the song says, God is somewhere out there. You know, there's a God out there somewhere. It's, we need to know more than that. We need to experience this God in our hearts. We have the desire to experience God. We want to know that God has come down to earth, that God is with us. He knows, he knows that we, where we are, he knows how we're feeling. That we have a God who understands what we go through, the difficult road that we've traveled. A God who knows our name. A God who cares about us. You know, when you throw a thing, oh yeah, I believe that God's somewhere out there kind of thing, that, that is really not enough for those who are truly seeking. For those who really want to understand the meaning of life the value of life. They want to know that there's a God who knows their name. They want to know there's a God who cares. They want to know there's a God who understands what they've been through in their lives, the, the difficult road they've traveled. We want to know that, that, they're, that we're not alone in this universe, that we are not walking this road alone. The prophets, the prophets spoke of this yearning, this longing in the human heart. It, it, whether, it, whether it was Joel or Malachi or Hosea or Jeremiah or Daniel or Zechariah, they all spoke of it. They spoke of it. But the one that we all remember the most is Isaiah. That's the one that we remember most, Isaiah. 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ, during the reign of King Ahaz, the prophet Isaiah predicted the birth of one who would be God and who would make his dwelling among us. He prophesied that 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. In Isaiah 7:14, it predicts an absolutely stunning, miraculous event. The virgin would be with child and they would call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Now, jump forward 700 years, and if we jump forward 700 years, we come to the place from that point, we come to the place where, where Joseph finds out that Mary's with child. And, his, you know, his first reaction is that he assumes the worst. You know, he fears the worst. And so Joseph decides that he's going to uh, divorce her. Uh, he's going to divorce Mary quietly to, to keep her from basic public shame. 
from disgrace. Shows you what kind of man Joseph was right up front. Because in this culture, (laughs) that was a a real no-no. But Joseph says he's going to divorce her quietly to spare her from public shame. But then the Lord comes to Joseph. Lord sends an angel and speaks to Joseph in a dream and tells him that the baby that is in Mary's womb is of the Holy Spirit. And he tells him, tells Joseph to call the baby Jesus. The baby's name is to be Jesus, which means God saves or Savior, because Jesus will save his people from their sins. So the angel speaks to Joseph. And then the angel quotes Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14 with his prophecy of the virgin birth. And, and, and the fact that, that, that his name will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. He, he, he speaks that out. Of all the names of Christ, if you think about it, of all the names of Christ in the Bible, none may be more significant than the name Emmanuel, because it gives us his ultimate identity. It lays out Christ's ultimate identity, Emmanuel, God with us. He came down from heaven to earth to be with us, to dwell with us. He came down from heaven in the form of a little baby boy lying in a manger. See, theologians call this uh, you know, we, we, we go through. Now, these are important terms, okay? So I want you to, if you have a little pen, you might want to write this down. Theologians call it the incarnation, okay? The incarnation. An incarnation, basically, what it, what it means is to take on human flesh, to be born as a human, okay? So incarnation, God in the flesh. God takes on human flesh in the form of a baby to come down here on earth and dwell among us incarnation. John chapter 1 verse verse 14 tells us the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word Jesus Christ. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. In John chapter 1 chapter 1 verse 1 it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The word was with God and the word was God. So God wrapped himself in human flesh and came to live with us. You know, in other words, God did not just send Christ to us. There's a little important distinction there. Didn't just send Christ to us. God came to us in Christ. God came to us in Christ. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. All the songs that we sing at Christmas, this is what it's all about. This is what the celebration is all about. That tiny, helpless baby born in Bethlehem was also the creator of the universe. God with us. John at 118, if you're thinking, well, I'm not really sure I understand how Jesus is God and God. So John 118 clears the whole thing up for you. It says, no one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only who's at the father's side has made him known. Is all clear now? Got it? Great. You can explain it to me later, okay? Because, you know, you know, people see that and they go, I don't see, I don't understand. I read that and I don't understand it. That, it kind of stretches, stretches my faith. That should not stretch your faith at all. What should stretch your faith is if you open up the Bible and, it, and you understood everything it says. When your little finite mind can understand everything in the Bible, that would make you, that would, a, little, a little flag should go out. The red flag should go up. If I could understand everything written in the Bible, then you could assume that some dude like me just sat down and wrote it, okay, and wanted everyone to believe it, and so he didn't write anything that no one would understand. Everybody would understand it. This builds my faith. 
No one has ever seen God but God, the one and only who's at the Father's side, has made him known. Hmm. It's the Trinity. It's the miracle of Christmas. It's the miracle of Christmas. That's why we worship God. He has an infinite mind. We have a finite mind. We come before him. We may not understand it all, but we can trust. We can know that what God says is true. C.S. Lewis wrote this. The son of God became a man to enable men to become sons of God. Simple. I love it. The son, the son of God became a man to enable basically us to be called sons of God so that we could be adopted into God's family. It's beautiful. It's a great plan. It is a great plan. And, 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 and those, those Christians throughout history who understood it, it changed their lives. It moved them in such a way that, that, it, that it transformed the way they think about the world. No wonder John Wesley, while, lay, while he laid dying in 1791, woke from his sleep long enough to open his eyes and exclaim this. I love it. The best of all is God is with us. And then he closed his eyes and died. Wouldn't you want to be someone like Wesley? You're laid on your deathbed. You just open your eyes one last time and say, and the best of all, God is with us. And then you die. I mean, you'd be talking about that for generations. You know what my grandfather, the last thing he said? You know, that would be great. That's why I want to go out. I want to say something profound right before I die, you know, and just, ah, you know why John Wesley probably muttered that? That because he, he lived that his whole entire life. He understood the incarnation. It was a part of who he was. It was a part of his being. And so he was able to say that right before he closed his eyes and died. This morning, I want to focus our attention on that name, Emmanuel, God with us. There are three words in that phrase. And each one teaches us something really unique and specific about Jesus. It tells us who he is in a very unique way. The first word is God. God. It precisely identifies the baby born in Bethlehem as the divine son of God, born of a virgin who came from heaven to earth. Lays it all out for us. And make, my friends, understand this as believers in Christ. Make no mistake about it. That this is important. This is an important truth in the Christian faith. This is foundation, absolute foundation. The incarnation is central. It is central to our faith, and, and it is absolutely a non-negotiable. Okay, non-negotiable. This isn't some some kind of secondary issue that we can we can sit around and believe, as believers and debate about. Well, I believe about the, well Jesus when he gave me. This isn't debatable. Not at all. There, there, there should be among believers no debate whatsoever. This, is, this truth is at, the, is at the core of what it means to be a Christian. This, is, this truth is at the very core of it. Of what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. To deny the incarnation, God in the flesh, Jesus in flesh. To deny the incarnation is to deny your own faith. It's as simple as that. You know, you love people to get around. They love to, you know, they'll agree with you and all these things. But then they'll just agree. You know, I just don't, I just don't agree with Jesus, you know, with all this kind of stuff. I, I was a great teacher and yada, 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 blah, blah, blah. But they don't, they don't agree with this. They don't agree with that. They don't agree with this. And, you know, they don't agree at all. Then Jesus was a, was a liar. If Jesus wasn't this, he's either a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord, okay? He's Lord. So as Christians, there's no debate on this one. As Christians, listen. 
We may not agree on everything. You go to different denominations, you go around, but every, every, all major Christian groups we're all holding hands on this one, okay? The priest across the street and the pastor in this pulpit agree completely on the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Get us together, have a discussion about that, and there's no disagreement. The incarnation, God with us. So Jesus is God. God with us, Jesus is God, okay? God with. Second word is with. Second word of Emmanuel reminds us that Jesus is, the, is our shepherd in times of trouble. That Jesus Christ is with us in times of trouble. It seems strange to, to say this, but we need to know this sometimes most of all around this time of year. This is a difficult, Christmas is a difficult time of year for some people. They, they really, they, they go through a lot of struggle. In the midst of all the joy and all the laughter, there's also a lot of pain and a lot of sadness. A lot of things go on in people's lives. There's a, there's, a, there's a lot of reminder for people of broken or lost relationships. Sometimes when families get together, they're reminded as much about what they don't have as what they do have. The loss, the, the past issues, whatever the case may be, the loneliness. Maybe the, their family lives far away and they, they don't contact them enough, but there's, there's this reminder and it, and it really burdens, it burdens people. Most people, honestly, if you think about it, most people feel stressed. Well, I didn't say most. Many people feel very stressed out and exhausted at this time of year. They, it's just this, this time of year becomes almost overwhelming for them. I saw a really, we, we saw a really good video at our, at our Christmas program this past week, and I think it, it just tells the story perfectly of some, way, some of the ways we feel at Christmas time. Christmas season. It's that time of year when you unbury all the decorations from the attic in the garage. You put up the Christmas tree. You find that missing stocking with the reindeer on it. You clean out the gutters so that you can string up the lights before it snows or you're the last dark house on the block. The kids have road games, early practices, that huge history project, and final tests to study for, along with five different Christmas parties and your son's extra holiday hours at his part-time job. When can you start driving again? Don't forget to write down the dates and times for the performances and the rehearsals of the programs at church, at school, and at the senior center where they want you to come dressed up as an elf. In tights. Then there's the shopping. Your son wants a new gaming system that can read his mind. Your daughter wants a doll that you're going to have to make payments on. Your sister's emailed you three times asking what you want for Christmas and why you haven't just gotten an Amazon wish list set up already. Your spouse thinks maybe the two of you should just get each other a new furnace for Christmas or maybe just donate all the gift money to orphans in Cambodia. And then there's the secret Santa thing at work. What's a white elephant gift again anyway? school sent home a note saying half the kids have strep. Your spouse came home with a box of double extra strength cough medicine and a case of Kleenex boxes. You're pretty sure there was something wrong with that last piece of fruitcake you just ate. And your daughter's so stuffy she looks and sounds just like Rudolph. Christmas is at your parents' house this year. And at your spouse's brother's place down south. And at your aunt's place on the lake. If the weather's nice and your kids sleep in the car, you might just make it to all three. And you should make sure that you stop in at the office party for at least a little while. Also, your friends are in town, so could you set aside a night of the week to do a special Christmas just with them? Oh, and can we do it at your house? Your boss needs you to make sure you get that project done before Christmas, even though he's going to be out of town until January, and you have to cover for your coworker who spends every Christmas in Hawaii. Also, none of your contractors will answer the phone after December 15th. 
Plus, you need to make that green bean dish you're so good at for Christmas dinner. And that peppermint dessert all the kids love for the other Christmas dinner. And something gluten-free for Uncle Dale. And a backup ham, just in case your mom's stove blinks out again. Also, there's cookies and carols at the church on Saturday afternoon. Everybody bring two dozen. Oh, and don't forget, Jesus is the reason for the season. (laughs) Merry Christmas. Oh, I'm sorry. Isn't that a little bit true? Uh, If I could take everything that I've talked about with people out in the foyer in these last two services, that would have been it. You know what I mean? That that was the conversation that we're having. Oh, I can't go away because the game and oh, it's just it's incredible. Love it. Absolutely love it because it's it's, it's true. And during this difficult time, many people need to know that they have a God who who's going to be there with them in their troubles. See, God knows what Jesus knows what's going on in our hearts. He knows what's happening in our hearts. He knows all of our hidden secrets. He knows all of our secret fears. He, he understands all of our unspoken doubts about what tomorrow may bring. You know, we come in and we, we kind of act confident, but in reality is we're not so confident. But what tomorrow is going to bring? Am I going to have a job in the new year? Are we going to be able to pay our mortgage? Are we going to be able to handle this? Are we going to be able to do that? God knows all of those things. He knows what's happening in our lives. He knows where we are and how we're doing. He knows our peaks and he knows our valleys. He understands all of that. He knows the whole truth about you and he knows the whole truth about me and he loves us anyway. It's good to know that. It's good to know that we have a God who understands everything we're going through, everything we are, everything we're becoming. And you know what? He still cares about us. I want to ask you a question as you think through this this morning. What valleys, what valleys this morning are robbing you of of really enjoying, enjoying your life this season, enjoying this Christmas season? What's going on in your life? What valleys are you walking through right now that are having an effect on your joy, on your peace, on your contentment during this time. It should be a time where we are celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ, but instead we're sometimes overwhelmed. Maybe it's the valley of loss. Maybe you're in the valley of pain. Maybe it's the valley of a loved one suffering. Maybe it's the valley of a health problem. Maybe it's the valley of of broken promises. Maybe it's the, the valley of a marriage that's struggling. Maybe it's the valley of a child that is, that is getting themselves into, into trouble. You know, maybe, maybe it's the valley of, of a career disappointment or uh, a valley of a financial crisis. Maybe it's the valley of temptation you can't seem to overcome. Maybe, maybe just maybe, it's a val- the valley of anger and bitterness. And this time of the year just kind of conjures all that back up because here they come. It's not only Santa coming to town, you know what I'm talking about? It's everybody else who reminds you of your past. Maybe, maybe it's the valley of struggling with your past. Whatever it is for you, we have those peaks and we have those valley, valleys. Whatever valley you may be walking through today, you need to know that Jesus Christ knows who you are. He knows where you are and he knows what you're feeling. You are not alone. You are not abandoned. You are not forgotten. He knows. He understands. He's experienced some of the same things we've experienced. God in the flesh. Jesus came down to earth and walked this earth with us. He understands betrayal. 
He understands broken relationships. He understands loss. He understands all the things that we go through. And it's a great feeling knowing that we have a God who understands the, the difficulties, the difficult roads that we walk every single day. That he can truly, truly empathize, not just sympathize, but empathize with the valleys that we go through. I think a lot of us right now are thinking of that, of Psalm 23. The words of Psalm 23, 4 are kind of echoing through our minds. That beautiful Psalm of David, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know, something, something really struck me as I was studying this past week. Actually, the last couple of weeks. But something really, really struck me as I, as I went through this. Do you know what the most wonderful word in this comforting psalm is? To, to me, at least. It's the simple word, you. It's the word, you. David changes the way he addresses the Lord as he processes, as he goes through the writing of this psalm. He changes his wording here. He refers, first he refers to God in the third person. Just think this through. He first he refers to God in the, in the third person. I want you to read it again as we go through this. Maybe listen to it. Maybe for the very first time. It's just a beautiful psalm. But listen to what he says. It says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. He speaks of God in a more formal way. Not, not wrong. It's, it's beautiful. It's comforting. But he speaks of God in a more formal way. He, 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 he. But when it comes to the darkest, to the saddest, to the most uh, challenging, stressful times of life, to the valleys, David's experience with God becomes more personal. You look at it, you notice what he says, you are with me. Notice the change. He doesn't say any longer he. He says you. He switches from he to you. Now the God of the universe has become David's personal shepherd. He's become his shepherd. He says, I, you can just see, I am not alone. I am not alone. I am not abandoned. I don't have to walk through this life alone. God with. God is a shepherd. He's our shepherd in time of need. And David saw that. He, 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 he. Then when it comes to the most difficult, the darkest, the saddest, the valleys, he says, you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me becomes more personal. The, 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 the creator of the universe becomes David's personal shepherd. When I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you, you, my Lord, are with me. God, you will carry me. You will sustain me. It's a promise that we can all count on. It's a promise that we can all count on as, as God enters our lives and helps us through the most difficult times, the most challenging moments, when the stress of life becomes more than we can bear, when the river starts to overflow its banks. We have a God who will carry us safely to the other side. You are with me, my shepherd, the one who loves me, 
the one who carries me, the one who cares for me, God with, God with us, God with us. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, the angel told Joseph to name the baby Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Name him Jesus. And in Luke chapter 2, in verse 11, the angel, when he speaks to, to the shepherds, he says this, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. You will never understand, un, please hear this, you will never understand who Jesus is until you understand that he came to save you from your sin. Why do we celebrate Christmas? Emmanuel, God with us. God came down. Why? Why did Jesus come down? You'll never understand him. You'll never grip. You'll never get a grip on Jesus and who he is until you understand that Jesus Christ came to save us from our sins. This is why he lived. This is why he died. This is why he rose again. In Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, it says that he came to seek and save the lost. Good news. That's the good news. You say, I want to hear about good news. That's the good news, the gospel, the good news that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Shepherd, to seek after that one that was lost. Maybe you're here this morning and you seriously, you've been all over. You have not been where you need to be. Jesus Christ came to seek and to save. If you were the only person left on this planet, he would have come and died for you. He came to seek and save the lost. We need a savior. All of us. God with us. We need a savior. Every single one of us. And he saves all of us who trust in him. He gives us that eternal life. I once heard someone put it this way. I, I, really, I really like the way this is put. If our greatest need were for education, he would have sent a teacher. If our greatest need, if our greatest need were for money, God would have sent a banker. If our greatest need were for advice, God would have sent a counselor. If our greatest need was for pleasure, then God would have sent an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness. And so God sent a savior. He sent a savior. God with us. God with us. So for those of you this morning facing challenges this Christmas, take, you can take this to heart. You, you, can, you can take this and, and find comfort. You can find comfort in this fact. God's answer to our struggles, God's answer to our pain, God's answer to our loneliness is not a theory or an abstract doctrine. It is not the latest gadget. It's not the hottest book. It's not the newest seminar. It's not a career change. It's not more friends. It's not another song to sing or, or another movie to watch. It's not any of those things. God's answer to our loneliness, God's answer to our struggles, God's answer to our fear is wrapped up in a person, Jesus Christ. That was his answer to all you're feeling right now, to all you're going through right now. God's answer to all of it is wrapped up in a person, Jesus Christ. 
Emmanuel, God with us. I want you to bow your heads with me right now as we close.